How do we manage the protein transition? Which food components can provably boost your immune system? What's the best way to validate health claims for food and food components? Listen to our food and health experts discuss the biggest questions facing the food, nutraceutical, and food ingredient industries today. Welcome to Niso Talks Food and Health. With the ever-increasing consumer demand for healthy and functional foods and beverages, probiotics offer a path for producers to differentiate products and meet the needs of more customers. In parallel, probiotics and ingredient companies are looking for ways to use new bacterial strains to deliver probiotic health benefits. However, working with these live and often sensitive microorganisms can be difficult. With their stability and resilience, pore-forming bacteria are gaining attention for potential health-promoting applications. Janneke Ouwekerk, expert microbiology and microbiomics at NISO, explains the benefits and challenges of choosing a spore-forming bacterium as a probiotic. With the ever-increasing demand for healthy food and food products, the uh, industry is looking for ways to differentiate their products. Probiotics offer an opportunity for that, and especially spore-forming bacteria that can uh, act as a probiotic are at the center of attention. Today I will be speaking to Janneke Ouwekerk, who is an expert in uh, fermentation and microbiomics. Janneke, welcome. Thanks, René. So, probiotics at the center of attention. Maybe first, what are probiotics and which bacterial strains are commonly used? Right, so probiotics are bacteria uh, that when administers life, they have a health benefit on the host. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then in general, you have the standard probiotics that are already quite long known, like the lactobacilli, streptococci, certain yeast strains. And we have the more novel probiotics, like Fecalibacterium prosnitsi or Ackermansia, so strict anaerobes, for instance, mm -hmm. and that are now getting onto the market. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so probiotics, and so there are, there are some on the market, but uh, adding uh, probiotics to a product uh, uh, comes with challenges. What, what, what type of challenges are there when doing that? Right, so you want to keep the bacteria alive when you uh, administer them to the chicken or the human or whatever the host is that you're intending to uh, envision this health benefit and they need to stay alive. So you can imagine that, for instance, when you have freeze-drying of probiotics, you make them stable and then you have a stable powder. When mm -hmm. you encapsulate that and people take the capsules, uh, you can ensure that the probiotic stays alive. Yeah. But if you go into food or beverages, they have to survive the manufacturing process of the product and also okay. afterwards have to stay stable within the product until the consumer actually eats or drinks it. Um, moreover, after you eat or drink it, it has to survive the passage of the stomach, which is quite acidic. So in the end, you want it to grow out, for instance, in the small or the large intestine. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a challenge for probiotics within food or beverages. Okay, so uh, and we talked on uh, on spore forming bacterial because that's uh, that's up and coming. Yeah. How can spore forming bacterial strains uh, help to overcome the challenge that you talked about? Right. So the difference is if you have spore formers, they are not active cells, mm -hmm. uh, but they form spores, which are much more sturdy for uh, handling, for instance, uh, uh, heat or acid stress, which you have during normal processing. So yeah. they can better survive the processing, keep, and they can also survive as vegetative spores in the products. It's also, well, of course you need to test it, but they can also easier survive the stomach. Um, and then afterwards, they have to uh, um, 
yeah, let's say regenerate or get alive again within the small or large intestine. Yeah. So they have a benefit uh, in that terms over non-spore-forming probiotics. So there is an advantage there. Yes. But I can imagine uh, if you talk spore-forming bacteria that's sometimes negatively associated. Uh, so are they actually safe? to be used as a probiotic? Yeah, good question. So for any probiotic, safety comes first. So you can check within the genome, are there any virulence genes or toxin genes present in the genome already? So you do a genotypic analysis. Next to that, you, do, you need to do a phenotypic analysis. So when are these toxins indeed produced? Yeah. Uh, and you need to make sure that you control that. So if you have a, a spore-forming probiotic already in the process, you need to check, okay, if I have spores, are there no toxins that can harm? And also later on in the product, in the shelf life you envision, the spore former should stay there, but toxins, of course, should not be there. Yeah. Um, so both in silico screening and also, um, yeah, laboratory screening for uh, safety is key, especially for spore forming bacteria. So, but they, they so the potential, they can be safely used as, as, as a probiotic? Absolutely, yes. Okay. How actually do you screen or, or, or select spore-forming probiotic uh, bacteria uh, as a strain? So there's ba basically two ways. Either you look at the manufacturability, so you select for strains that you can easily grow, where you have a good control about spore formation and also growing out again. Um, you can also screen from the health benefits side. So you can screen a lot of different strains, for instance, in gut immune assays, or uh, we, have, we have, for instance, an in vitro colon or an in vitro skin model where you can test, okay, what, of, what are the strains that actually confer the health benefits? And usually we do this in parallel, so you have strains that you can actually manufacture and that have the health benefits, yeah. uh, and then you can combine it. Um, maybe one thing to emphasize, for instance, for spore-forming bacteria, especially in food products, you want to prove they survive the uh, digestion within the stomach. So also yeah. there you can use in vitro models mimicking the digestion where you can prove that the probiotic survives actually the passage uh, yeah. and gets to the small or large intestine of uh, the population you envision. Of the host. Yeah. yeah. So if you look a bit at, at, at the potential of these spore-forming bacteria, uh, and, and also at, at the future or, or the near future, how, how do you see that? There's definitely benefits to use spore-forming bacteria and, and it's already, for instance, in the poultry quite commonly used. Uh, also for humans it's already used, but I think it can be definitely expanded. So if we look further for um, spore-formers that can easily be produced and have actually the health benefit, it would be really beneficial because we're moving towards putting probiotics much more in the non uh, capsulated form. We want to have it in kinds of foods and beverages that people just buy in supermarkets, and then these are uh, superior to probiotics that uh, do not have this spore forming ability. Yeah. Okay, Janneke, thank you very much for explaining this. You showed us a bit uh, an, an insight into uh, probiotic, but especially the potential of spore forming bacteria in that, mm -hmm. in that respect. And then uh, again, especially in, let's say, the real food products and not in a capsule, yes. but also to, uh, to have that in place. Well, thank you very much again. This was Nisa Talks Food and Health. And if you want to know more, please check out our website.